good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And can we welcome our West Campus and our Appleton Campus and our online campus this morning today? We are one church, multiple locations. And if we're not in a city near you, we're on our way. So uh, we believe in leveraging technology that video is the stained glass of the 21st century. And so to take this message of Jesus Christ around the corner and around the world and make a difference in people's lives. And uh, it's good to see you today. We are finishing up our series this weekend on Finishing Strong. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. It's the first book of the Bible, just chapter 37 right there. It would be easy for everybody to get to. And uh, we're going to be there in just a minute. I'm going to talk to you today about keeping on, about not quitting. I'm going to tell you that I think that probably the most spiritual thing you can do as a Christ follower is what we're going to talk about today. Just don't quit. Just simply don't quit. We've talked about seizing the moment. We've talked about that failure isn't final. I think if you're going to finish strong, the other thing you've got to have resolved is that you're just not going to quit. And I hope that today, even if you feel like quitting today, that when we're done with today's message, that you will just say to yourself, self, I don't know if you talk to yourself. I talk to myself all the time. It's completely natural. At least that's what I think. Um, But self, I'm not going to quit. It doesn't matter if I fail. It doesn't matter if I succeed. It doesn't matter if I'm liked. It doesn't matter if I'm loathed. I am not going to quit. I refuse to quit. I'm going to keep going on. And anytime you're running a race, whether it's a physical race, whether it's a vocational race, whether it's a relational race, whether it's a spiritual race, however you want to look at it, any way you want to slice it, anytime you're running a race, there are times that you feel like quitting. There are times that you feel like it's just not worth it. I just don't have it in me. I wish I could, but you just, there are moments where you go, man, I have fallen, and I just don't think I can get up. (laughs) Amen. And it's in those moments that you make a decision. Are you going to lay down and die? Are you going to get up and keep on keeping on? Just keep going. Now, this week I had an experience. It's been very interesting in this series I most of the time plan most of my messages out well in advance, spend time in prayer, spend time just really asking the Lord what I think he wants me to preach on and bring to you. And, and, um, and it's been interesting how the Lord has put messages on my heart well in advance, but then there's been experiences that have happened in the week uh, that have really kind of emphasized uh, the message that I'm about to preach. Most of the time in preaching what happens is whatever you preach on Sunday, you have to live on Monday. That's why I don't preach on patience very often because I preach it on Sunday. Then it's usually I'm in a traffic jam or my plane's delayed or something's going wrong on Monday. But this has been one of those deals where before I'm preaching it, it's kind of like it's a life lesson that just kind of reiterates that. This past week was, was the same. It's been uh, um, about a year ago I was asked to speak at an event and was very honored to do so. Uh, the Assemblies of God, which is the fellowship of churches that we, Life Church, are affiliated with, I, as a pastor, am, am ordained with, there's over 65 million adherents worldwide with the Assemblies of God. It's the largest Protestant missions organization in the world. Uh, there are as many uh, Assemblies of God churches in the United States as there are Starbucks, if that helps you, a little over 13,000. And, um, and so the reality is, is that we, as a movement, turned 100 this year. In 1914, in April, 
uh, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, there were 300 delegates that convened together and said, we are going to start a fellowship. And we're going to do this for world evangelization. We're going to do this to ensure the doctrine of, the, uh, of, 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 and to conserve the doctrine that we believe. We're going to do this to come together for accountability. We're going to do this because we want to start Bible colleges and teaching and training and ministers. And so they met in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914. A hundred years later, which is now, this same time, uh, the Assemblies of God this past week had a celebration in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And uh, I was asked to be one of the young ministers, which is funny when you're 42 and you're considered young. And so it's kind of crazy. But, but to come and just speak very briefly, along with a couple of other pastor friends of mine, uh, just as a part of that program. And so this last week on representing you and, and all of that, I uh, traveled to Hot Springs, Arkansas to, to speak. And we also went to the uh, Opera House downtown uh, along uh, Central Avenue there in Hot Springs. Uh, where the original 300 met. It was interesting. 30 of the 300 were missionaries that left that meeting. They packed all their earthly belongings in caskets because they never thought they would ever be back to the United States. I mean, these were a, a band of radical, lion-chasing Christ followers. And uh, what's, it, what, what's very interesting to, to kind of boot all this is that early on in ministry... The second youth pastor that Tammy and I served at was at First Assembly of God in Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is where this meeting took place. Uh, Matt Mueller, many of you know Tim and Paula Mueller, Mackenzie Mueller, uh, their eldest son, Matt, uh, is, uh, is on staff there at, at that church. So I got to see Matt and his wife, Ashley, and, and uh, uh, his, uh, you know, do all of that. But I had not been back to that town in almost 20 years. And so driving back in, it was like just all these, all these memories, just boom, 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 boom. And, of course, there were a couple of hot spots that I was going to eat at, right? And uh, go to McClard's on uh, 270 and get the tamale full spread. It is amazing. Anyhow, so I was there eating and, and doing all this and driving to the place where the little two-bedroom uh, apartment Tammy and I lived in while we were there for a couple of years and on Halterra Lane and, and just, just, just all these memories. And then I go back into the church and wow, I haven't been there and, and all of this time. And, and, then I'm, and, then, and then I'm just kind of asked to speak, which is an honor. And most of the people that were seated there, uh, which was somewhat intimidating, were the national leadership. And they were pastors of churches that when I was a kid, these guys were like the giants, you know, in Dallas and in San Jose, California. And I mean, just in New York. And, and it was just, it was a very surreal moment for me. And I say that because the backstory is, is that I'll never forget the conversation that Tammy and I had. After we left our very first youth pastorate, this was our second youth pastorate, we had felt like we were chewed up and spit out. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like that you were doing a job that you felt like you were called to do, but it didn't go right, that you, that you felt like you were supposed to be a part of, and <laughs> you were doing what God told you, yet everything went wrong? It was one of those, one of those moments. And we were in the U-Haul, and I remember looking at her on our way to Hot Springs, saying, are we even called? Can we even do this? 
I feel so inadequate. I feel so, I feel such like a failure. I, I just, I don't even know. I mean, I, I have since all my life that I was called into vocation ministry. We went to Bible college. Uh, we got out of school. This is our first youth pastor. And I just feel like a complete and total loser. And she looked at me with all the confidence that she could. And she said, I don't know. You ever had that? It's really bad when you both feel like quitting on the same day, you know? And I said, I don't know either. But here's what I know. I got one more shot in me. I'm going to try this one more time. And I'm telling you, if this is our same experience, peace out, Girl Scout, I'm done. I'm not done with Jesus. I'm not done. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not going to go to hell. I, 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 but I'm not done with anything else other than just ministry. I'm not doing this. And with that, we packed our bags and that U-Haul moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas. And it was just an awesome time of just like, where God blessed, God opened doors, God did things. And we moved on from there and went and worked with Mike Goldsmith in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma in the Tulsa area before we came here. And I'm standing on that stage some 20 years later. I preached here as a youth pastor. I've been in that room a gazillion times. And it flooded my mind how, as a young 20-something, I stood there feeling like a total failure and loser, like I was incompetent, like I didn't even know if I could do what God had called me to do. And not because I'm smart, not because I'm strong, not because I'm good, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but because I refused to quit some 20 years later it was this cyclical moment where it kind of came back around into full loop, and there I was. And it just hit me. This is part of the reward for not quitting. This is part of the blessing for not quitting. And I began to think of all the guys that I started ministry with, and a lot of which are, aren't even in ministry today. Some of them not even serving God today. And I just got to think... I'm standing here on this stage. I'm being honored to be able just to be a part of this program, a very smart this program with people in this room that are heroes of mine. But people don't know the backside of the story. They, they, they don't know the times that I felt like quitting, that I felt like I just, and it just hit me. This is part of that reward. And there's a person in Scripture I've always identified with. I think when you read Scripture, you identify with people. I think God puts all kinds of people in Scripture because there's just some people you identify with. I identify with Joseph. The story of Joseph is, is one to me where is one to me that I personally resonate with. And when you look at Joseph from one side of his life, you look at him as a hero, like he's just this mighty, incredible man of God that just did all these great things. But when you look at the backside, the underbelly, the, 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 the story that most people don't really talk about, you see moments, great moments, where Joseph must have felt like quitting, where he could have quit, but he didn't. The Bible says that Joseph was a dreamer. That God gave him a dream. And not only a dream, but he gave him the ability to interpret dreams. Not only his dreams, but others' dreams. And I want you to hear this. Everybody in this room, everybody that's at the Appleton campus, at the West campus, watching online, God has a dream for you. How do I know this? Well, because Proverbs says, without a dream, without a vision in your life, you die. God's not called us to die. He's called us to live. That's why he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. He's come to give us life and life to the full. So God has a dream for us. Jeremiah in the Old Testament declares that God has a future and a hope for you and for me. 
God has a plan and a purpose for our life, that he's established our days, the Bible says, even before we're born, that he loves us so much that he knows a number of hairs on our head. And Joseph has this dream. And his dream is this, that he would be more powerful than his brothers one day and that they would bow down to him. I don't know if you have brothers or you were raised with siblings, but those are fighting words if you tell that publicly. (laughs) Joseph might have had a dream, might have been used to God, but he wasn't all that smart. Look at Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. And Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, you know where this is going, they hated him all the more. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the, all the more. You know, it's one thing to have a dream. It's another thing to tell your dream. Can I just help you, especially those of you that are young in this room, you've got a dream. Be careful who you tell that dream to for two reasons. Number one, you will probably be misunderstood or misperceived. And secondly, there'll be a lot of people that drink Haterade that will try to kill that dream. And if you're not careful, your dream will become, well, it'll die because you will put it out there. Joseph has this dream, and and he tells it. And and he's a bit naive and probably a bit arrogant, if you really want to know the truth of the matter. And he tells his brother, and I'm sure he said it in a pretty pious way. I mean, I had a younger brother, and, and, and I mean, he and I would both kind of go back and forth. And Joseph was a younger brother. And if my younger brother had told me one day, hey, Aaron, I had this dream from God. He played the God card. That one day I was going to be great, and you weren't going to be. And I was going to be awesome, and you weren't going to be. And I was going to be rich, and you were going to be a big, fat zero. I would have beat him up, too. I would have hated him all the more, wouldn't you? Come on, you guys read this way too sanctimoniously. There's no ha there. There's just, I'm going to knock you in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Look at verse 19 of Genesis 37. Here's what they said. Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and then say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Look at verse 23. So Joseph came to his brothers, and they stripped him of his robe, his richly ornamented robe he was wearing. Now, the robe was given to him by his father Jacob because Joseph was a favored child. I'll tell you why that is in just a minute. As they looked at him, they threw him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. So Joseph comes along after he's told him his dream. He's wearing this robe. Jacob, Joseph's father, Joseph's older brothers were all, their mother was Leah. Jacob was the son of Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. But Laban, which is Jacob's father-in-law, Joseph's grandfather, switched Leah and Rachel at the wedding, unbeknownst to Jacob. And Jacob marries Leah, only to have to work another seven years so that he could marry Rachel. All of Joseph's older brothers were all from the union that Jacob, their father, had with Leah. But Jacob was from Rachel. That's why Jacob was favored. And there was a built-in resentment and not only was there built-in resentment with that, but, but Joseph, excuse me, Jacob showed his love towards Joseph and that he gave him this richly ornamented robe, this coat of many colors. If you grew up in, in Bible school or VBS, you probably heard that it's a Broadway play nowadays, Joseph in the Technicolor coat. And that's where it goes back to. And it was a sign that he was different. And then Joseph didn't help himself by telling the, the dream. And so his brothers decided that they're going to throw him into a pit and kill him. 
His, one of his brothers, Judah, said, look, let, let's don't kill him. We don't want to go there. Let's just, let's take the coat that we all hate. Let's douse it with the, with the blood of an animal. This is pre-DNA days, right? And let's just sell him. We'll make a little money off the deal and we won't kill him. So they all agreed to it. He is sold into slavery to the house of Potiphar, who was a very wealthy individual, a very powerful man. And the story picks up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, that the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the, in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. I want you to notice something. God gave Joseph a dream, and, and, and even though that Joseph went through some hard times, the Lord was with him. He probably didn't feel like it because he was a slave, but he was with him. And even today, you may not feel like God is with you, but I'm letting you know he's with you. Just because God is with you doesn't mean you get a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't mean it's problem-free living. The reality is, is that when you have a dream from God and when, and when God puts something in you, especially when you go public with it, you're going to face some adversity. You're going to face some problems. You're going to face some situations. You're going to face some circumstances. And problems and situations and circumstances, even if they're near-death type experiences doesn't mean that there's an absence of God. It just means that God is walking you through the process. He's refining you. He's growing you. He's maturing you. He's developing you for what he has called you to do. Many times we look at people and we think, man, they're on an easy road and, 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 and life is good. And, and why can't I have that life? Because God's working something out in you. And no two people in this room are the same. And we're all on this ultimate journey to accomplish what God has for us, but we're all on unique paths. But still remember, the Lord was with Joseph. This is important. He sold into slavery to Potiphar. And this is what the Bible says in, in verse, verse uh, uh, 6 of chapter 39. Now, Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. Well, I thought myself. Just seeing if you're awake. Okay. But it could, it could be true. I don't know. My mother thinks so. And, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from, you, from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He says, no, he does the right thing. Potiphar's wife what does she do? She makes up a story about him. I'm just kind of taking you through these chapters. He makes up a story that Joseph tried to rape her. Potiphar sends Joseph to prison. So Joseph goes from being a dreamer, being the favored son, to being thrown into a pit by his brothers and ousted by his family, only to be sold into slavery, only now to ascend through the ranks and be the, the, the second in the house of Potiphar and, and, and have unreal favor only now to be falsely accused and spoken against because he did the right thing. Doing the right thing doesn't always keep you out of trouble. God will eventually work it out, but doing the right thing sometimes may cost you in the present. Doing the right thing, the ethical thing, may sometimes hurt you for a short period only to help you in the long term because God's the one that keeps score. And, and what's interesting here in this, in this passage too is that, that Potiphar could have had him killed. A matter of fact, the, the, the punishment for rape or attempted rape or whatever uh, in that day and time, especially with someone that's a slave in your household, you just executed them. 
It's interesting that he doesn't execute him. He has him sent to prison. Probably because the reality is, is this wasn't the first time that Potiphar's wife had this problem. Joseph goes to prison. Look at verse 21 of Genesis 39. But the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those who were in prison. He had made responsible all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I'm just going to tell you right now, the favor of God, which is what that, what that phrase, the Lord was with him, illustrates. There is nothing, no money, no connection, no strategic alliance, a relationship that you can have that is greater than the favor of God in your life. I'm just telling you, the favor of God will open doors and every other door is shut. The favor of God will protect you and will give you place and prominence when nothing else can. You can spin your wheels and make your deals, but there is nothing like the favor of God. And everywhere Joseph goes, the hand of God is on him and he rises. The enemy tries to drown him and God brings him to the surface. The enemy tries to snuff him out, God brings him back to life. The enemy tries to destroy him and God resurrects him. It's the same thing is true in our own life. What the enemy will try to use to destroy you, God will turn around and use for your good. Why? Because he is with you. He is for you. And many times we read that phrase and we go, well, why didn't God help him escape? The, the, the association of, of blessing with the absence of trouble is horrible theology. I believe in a theology of prosperity. I believe that God wants to bless you. I believe God wants to help you. I believe God is for you. I believe our best days are in front of us. I am not a gloom, doom, despair person, preacher, minister, or leader. I believe it's, I don't, I'm not a chicken little. The sky is falling. I'm the little engine that could. I'm just telling you, I think we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I think that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. I think we overcome by the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross and the word of our testimony. But I'm just telling you, if you have a theology of prosperity, and you should, because that's what the Bible says, you must also have a theology of suffering, which means that he will never leave you nor forsake you, but you're going to go through some rough times. Which means that God is going to allow you to go through some difficult situations. He's not going to bring it on you, but he's going to allow you because he's going to refine you. He's going to work through you. He's going to develop through you. And the rest of the story is, is that Joseph stays in the prison for a time. But God gives Pharaoh a dream. A dream that no one in the kingdom can interpret. And he's remembered. And God brings him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells his dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. Remember, that's part of his gift. Proverbs says that your gift will make room for you before kings. Listen, you don't have to be at the right place at the right time. You don't have to know the right people. You don't have to know how to spin the wheels and make the deals. You don't have to have gone to the right schools, have the right pedigree, have the right connections. I'm telling you, when God is in your life, when his hand is upon your life, when you are obedient, not perfect, but obedient to what he asks of you to do, he will promote you. He will bring you up. He will exalt you in his own time and in the time that he has for you. And that's exactly what he does with Joseph. Joseph says, I'll tell you what the dream is. This world is going to go through seven years of a bull market, seven years of bumper crops, seven years of unreal and unprecedented prosperity and harvest. But it will be followed with seven years of famine like we've never seen in our lifetime. 
And if Egypt will position itself and steward the first seven years correctly, it will make it and it will instill it as a powerhouse, not just for this generation, but generations to come. And the Pharaoh says, there's no one as wise as this among us. And exalts him immediately from the prison to being second in command of Egypt. How does that happen? He's not even Egyptian. I'll tell you how it happened. Because the power of God, the favor of God is on his life. And Joseph chose not to quit. He could have quit when his brothers hated him. He could have quit when he was in the cistern. He could have quit when he was sold into slavery. He could have quit when he was thrown into prison. He could have quit a long time. There was many reasons, many reasons for him to have, take the off-ramp of life and just go, forget this. This is not worth this. I'm not doing this. I know I said I had a dream, but it must have been bad Chipotle. I am just not fit for this. But what did he do? He stayed the course. And I just want to give you a couple lessons that we learned from the life of Joseph that are personal applications to me that I hope are going to be beneficial to you as we wrap this thing up today. How to keep, keep on going. How do you keep on going? First of all, recognize and value the process. Recognize and value the process. Things that seem like they're pulling you away from your goal may actually be bringing you closer to the end game that God has for you. James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you so you will be mature and complete and not lacking anything. How do you get to become mature and complete in Christ? Through trouble, through trials, through tribulation. We think, man, when we come to Jesus, we're just going to be all right, man. This is God. This is perfect, and everything's great. And then when problems happen, we go, what did I do? What, what happened? What, what happened? It's like this, man. I'm just telling you. I, I don't know about you, but I battle eating and battle the, the bulge right here. I have one of those pear shapes. Is that right? Yeah. I got a muffin top. I cinch it up real well on the weekends, but I'm just telling you. And I get home, it's like a can of biscuits. It's just there. <laughs> And I wish, man, I wish, I wish, if I talked about you like that, you would leave the church, I'm just telling you. I wish that I could just grab a hold of my belt and have someone lay hands on me and just 20 pounds be gone. Would that be awesome? I'm, I'm tell, tell the truth and shame the devil. You know, if that, if that happened right now, people would be lined up, oh God, yes, I need that. <laughs> the only problem with that is, is that what would we do? We would go to a buffet and celebrate. Because that's an event. Everybody likes to get zapped. We don't like the process. What's the process? I got to change my eating. What's the process? I got to actually work out. What, what, what? Process allows us to grow and develop. Can I help you with something? Enjoy slow development. We live in a day and age, especially if you're 35 or under, and we want every, it's like Burger King, everything right away now. We want the house, want the car, want the position, want the salary. We want it all. And we, and magazines and media is full of people who have, who have they're, they're the exception to the rule, and they have catapulted themselves so quickly. Many times, though, if you read about those people 10 years later, they've crashed and burned. It's all falling apart. Enjoy slow development. It's not easy, 
It's not fun, but it's going to make you mature and complete. And James says, lacking nothing. And sometimes we have this attitude, well, I should have more than what I have. Really? Let me tell you what I think. I think you have what you have because that's what you can handle. I think I have what I have because I, that's what I can handle. If, if I could pastor a church to 30,000 people, I'd be pastoring a church to 30,000 people. I can't handle 30,000. How do you know? Because that's, that's what I got. I see pastors all the time go, well, bless God, I feel like I should pastor a church of 1,000. And the biggest thing they've ever pastored is 300 people. And you take a guy who's lid, I think you'll understand this, is 300, and you give him 1,000 people on the weekend, just give him a little bit of time, he'll grow that church from 1,000 down to 300 every single time. Why? That's his lid. That's his capacity. And you can blame it on whatever you want to blame it. You can blame it on the devil. You can blame it on church people. Bottom line is everything rises and falls on leadership. It's the same true in your business. It's the same true in your finance. It's the same true of everything. Some of you go, well, if I just made 100000 or 150 or a quarter million dollars a year, life would really be great. You can't handle that. Why? Because you're not faithful with the little that you've been given. Well, if I could just get to the point I can get out of this condo and I could get and out of this rental and get into a house that I own, a mortgage, even if it's a condo that I own, that'd be great. You can't get there right now. Why? Because you can't handle it. You have to go through some things. You got to grow through some things. Are you 20-somethings? Are you listening to me? You're not going to graduate college. I don't care if you've got an MBA and all of a sudden go to the corner office and everybody's going to bow down to you and call you blessed. You're going to go through the pit. You're going to go through the prison. And before you get to the palace, it's the way that life works. And it doesn't work that way because of the enemy. It works that way because God is refining you and working you and developing in you. I'm telling you. Even this past week, as I stood on that stage, there was 20 years worth of experiences that flooded my mind. I was so honored to be a small part of what was happening. But the reality is, I remember 20 years before, this 20-something-year-old kid who didn't even know whether I was worthy to be called and felt like I wanted to quit. And the greatest thing that I've done since then is just not quit. It's not about education. It's not about connection. It's not about success. It's about just not quitting and allowing God to work through the process in your life. The second thing is rely on solid relationships. Rely on solid relationships. Many times when we go through tough times, we want to retreat. We want to go to solitude. We want to, to, to say, just leave me alone. And the reason why we do this is because of shame. We're embarrassed. It's the worst thing we can do. Listen, if you're hurting, you need to be around people that love you and that love God. Let me say that again. If you are hurting, you need to be around people who love you and who love God. There are people who love God and don't love you. Be careful who you share your stuff with. There's a lot of people drinking haterade, even in the church. I know, I know, say it ain't so, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. Touch your neighbor and tell them it's over. I'm just telling you, it's the way it is. It's the reason why life groups are so important. It's the reason why developing life and community in a local church is so important. You're not going to know everybody, but you can know a few people. And everybody's not going to know you, but there'll be enough people that will because you're in community that you can say, man, I'm going through a rough time. Man, I'm going through a, a, a trial right now. Man, this is really testing me right now. This is what's happening in my business. This is what happened in my marriage. This is what happened with my kids. This is what's happened in my life. This is what I'm dealing with. This is how the enemy's attacking me. Man, I just crashed and burned yesterday. I, I just lost. I, I, I got off the wagon. I Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, 10, 11, and 12 says that two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They can get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. 
But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. On a cold night, two under the same blanket can gain warmth from each other. But one, how, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. If you're going to accomplish what God's put in your heart and your life to accomplish, you're not going to do it alone. We need each other. Nothing works like the local church works, and local church works the way the local church is designed to work. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You make me better, I make you better. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, so one man sharpens another. There may be conflict. There may be sparks. There may be some push and pull. But the reality is, is that we're there for one another. The reality is, is that, and who are the people that you go to when everything's falling apart? Who are the people that you go to when you've crashed and burned? Who are the people that you call? It's very few, but you better have somebody. You better have somebody. One, because you may have a dream from God, but I promise you, when you're in the, pat, in the pit, you need to have somebody. When you're in the palace, you better have somebody. Wait, did you, you mean you said prison? No, I said palace. Because let me tell you something. Success will tell you who your friends are more than anything else will. There's not a lot of people that stand on the sidelines of your life or my life that cheer for us. Man, I'm glad you got the promotion. Man, I'm glad you got that new car. I'm glad you got that new house. Man, I saw your business was featured in Biz Times Magazine in Milwaukee. I'm glad. Man, that is amazing. Success, it'll shut the mouths of critics, but it will also show you who your friends are. Because there's so much me and I and greed and self-seeking ambition in this world that people many times are wondering, how did you get on that stage? Why am I not up there? Why am I not in that, that, in that picture? Why am I not connected with that person? Why am I not? Why don't I have? Why don't I have? Why don't this have? Why don't, why don't I get invited? Oh, my goodness. Are we in the third grade? But it happens. And it, it's rampant among adults. You better have some solid, godly relationships people that will rejoice with you when you rejoice and will cry with you when you cry. And if you have that, man, you can walk through hell. You can walk through heaven. You can go through good times and bad times and overcome. And the last thing I'd want to say is renew your relationship with God. Renew your relationship with God. At this point, if I don't acknowledge this, this, this is the whole reason. This is just a good self-help message. But the Bible says that these things happen in our lives to bring us closer to him. I want to read you as I close today what Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Paul says, For we are distressed, it is for your comfort. He's speaking to the church in Corinth and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope is for you is firm, because that we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, 
far beyond our own ability to endure, so that we even despaired even of life. And indeed, in our hearts, we felt a sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God. There will be times in your life as a Christ follower that you will feel not just like quitting, but you will despair even even to death. You'll feel like dying. Paul's writing this. He's on a missionary journey. He's doing the will and the work of God. Paul is writing the New Testament, and he is saying, there are times you're going to feel like giving up. There's times you're going to feel like it's not worth it. There are times you're going to sit in that U-Haul and look at your spouse and go, are we even called to do this? And she's going to look at you with the faith of giants and go, I don't know. I don't know either. It's okay. Maybe you don't know today. That's okay. You're not, look, you're not throwing the universe out of kilter because you're honest. But here's what we do know. God's called us. Here's what we do know is that we're not going to quit. Here's what we do know, that he that's began a good work in me and in you will be faithful to finish it. I hope, I pray that you make a decision today. In Germantown, West Campus, the Appleton Campus, online, that you are not going to quit. And I just want to pray for you today that God will give you strength to keep that resolve. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for people in your word that are just like us, that are perfect. I mean, imperfect. They're not perfect. Like Joseph, that we see these roller coaster of his life from a dream that you gave him that was real, but it was tested. Some say over a 30-year, 20-year period that that was tested in his life. Why? To develop him and to bring him to the right time, to the right place. So, Lord, I pray that we would be like Joseph. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us and that your favor would be pronounced in our lives, sometimes in very subtle ways, sometimes in very noticeable ways. God, that through the ups and the downs, from the pits and the prisons of life, that we will trust in you and not lose hold of the dream and not quit. And God, when we make our way to the palace, when you bring us, Lord, when you allow the gifts that you've given in us that are resident in us to make room for us in front of kings, leaders, business leaders, heads of state, corporations, God, that we will have stewarded well and will continue to steward well the opportunity. God, we have what we have because that's what we can handle. So help us, grow us, develop us, expand us in our lives, in our abilities. God, to accomplish what it is that you've put in our hearts and help us not to quit, just not to quit. We may feel like quitting, that's okay. We may want to throw in the towel, that's completely human. We may feel even unto death, as Paul says, but we just choose not to quit. That we trust not in ourselves, but we lean to you. 
that we look not to our ways, but we lean to your ways. We just exhibit faith that you're in control. And I pray today, let us lead today with that hope that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.